Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Yesterday on the program, we asked you which national issues were you most concerned about or the ones you were most anxious about. Well, today we'll do the same thing, only this time we'll ask you if, uh, what issues you would like to see addressed in Pennsylvania. There are a lot to address. The state hasn't had a complete state budget for seven months, and Governor Tom Wolf will propose his next budget in two weeks. A week doesn't go by when there isn't something new with Pennsylvania Attorney General Kathleen Kane, who faces criminal charges. And several Pennsylvania Supreme Court justices and prosecutors are caught up in a scandal involving pornographic, sexist, and racist emails. Against that backdrop, voters will decide on all state House members and half the state Senate this year. Joining us on the program today is WITF Capitol Bureau Chief Mary Wilson. Mary, welcome to the program. Hi, Scott. Good to be here. Also, Dr. G. Terry Madonna, Director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, Professor of Public Affairs and Director of the Franklin and Marshall College Poll. Dr. Madonna, welcome to the show. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Mary. Well, we have to give a little bit of background here because Mary didn't know whether she was going to make it in today because <laughs> your car was buried, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you were able to dig it out and get in. Mm-hmm. Ter- it's not so much my car; it's that the street is ah just okay. The, the different streets are not. And so you live passable. in town. You live right, in town right, where right, it hasn't right. been plowed yet. And Terry was going to be here, but uh, Lancaster County and York County, I think, got hit a little sooner and a little worse with uh, the freezing rain this morning. And Terry, I think it was a good thing you didn't try it because Route 283 in Lancaster County was a standstill for yeah. a time this morning. So I'm glad. Yeah. that you're able to join us in the comfort well, of your pleasure. home. So. Yeah, Mary's right. I mean, a lot of the reports out of the cities in south-central Pennsylvania, once you get off sort of the main roads, the side streets are virtually impassable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's just literally so much snow and so few resources available to clean all of these streets. This is, And I'm actually stunned at the number of schools that are closed today the second day in a row, I don't remember a time when that when that happened before. One day, yeah, but two days, maybe a late start. But but there are just a huge number of schools in in the south central part of our state that are closed for a second day. Yeah, well, I, I remember. I think 2010 when we had those two storms back to back may have yeah. been the last time where we had multiple days off school. Let me tell our listeners that uh, if you, we we want you to uh, participate in today's program. If you have something you'd like to list on your uh, list of. And, uh, issues that uh, are involving the state that are most important to you that you would like to see addressed, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can leave a question or a comment on WITF.org or on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. And I do encourage you to get your calls in early because uh, the phones were really busy today, or yesterday, I should say, and I anticipate they will be. Uh, tomorrow, Terry, I'm going to ask you something, and this is a little bit of speculation, but you know, one of uh, the things that happened over the weekend was the Pennsylvania Turnpike was shut down in western Pennsylvania in, in Bedford County. Today, I'm hearing that uh, the state house, that a couple committees are calling for uh, calling for hearings on what happened there. Uh, what I remembered, and I'm sure you do too, is that Valentine's Day storm we had a few years ago on I-81 right. when uh, there were people stuck yep. on 81 for like, uh, oh, 24 hours. And then Governor Rendell took a lot of heat. Uh, will Governor Wolf right. take heat on this one? 
probably not in the long run. I mean, the, you know, look, I think that they're, everybody's doing the right thing, even even the Turnpike Commission, uh, when they had the press conference with uh, Governor Wolf, said that they were going to take a look at it. There have been reports that they're going to do an extensive uh, analysis to figure out what happened. Uh, as you know, I drive the Turnpike a good bit. I know both Mary and you do. And, I mean, you, there are an awful lot of trucks on that highway. That's not a bad thing, but it doesn't take much to get a backlog of, uh, of you know, 40, 50, 60 trucks, and moving them is not very easy. But I do think that uh, the investigation is the proper thing to do. In the end, I don't think that Governor Wolf, remember that is an independent board, it is, that operates at the Turnpike Commission, unlike what happened on I-81, which was the responsibility of PennDOT, uh, I don't think the governor takes much heat for that. Well, and I also make some comparisons that uh, when this happened on the Valentine's Day storm on 81, is that uh, Governor Rendell was in Philadelphia at that time. Right. And there was a lack of communication, if I remember correctly, at the time. Uh, It took a long time for state police. uh, And the National Guard eventually, I think, did get in there. But this time... Uh, the National Guard was in there right away, and there was, you know, they were dispensing food and water yeah. and all those and things. Other, no, the other thing I would say is, unless I, I don't have the full report, maybe Mary would know, there were no loss of life. There was, in fact, people that were, you know, the reports that were done on the buses with the college kids, and I mean, they seemed to have fun, you know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't like this was a calamity that you know, cause people to end up in the hospital or, you know, the loss of life and limb. And that obviously has an effect on the attitude of voters as well. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, the issues that are most important to voters right now. I listed some things that uh, are, you know, some characteristics of Pennsylvania government right now. Uh, And I have to say that you wonder whether those things actually impact the day-to-day lives of Pennsylvanians. Uh, Brad Bumstead from Pittsburgh Tribune Review did a story the other day. Mary, I'm sure you saw it, Terry, you probably did too, of how the rest of the country is viewing Pennsylvania and is saying what, you know, a lot of people are saying, what's going on in Pennsylvania? Because they hear about these scandals, they hear about the state budget. But you have to look at it from a point of view of whether that impacts the day-to-day lives of most Pennsylvanians. And the answer would probably be no. Now, if you're involved in uh, some of those nonprofit organizations that have suffered schools, you know, yes, there, there would be some impact there. But those scandals, that budget, for the most part, probably don't have that day-to-day impact. So, Terry, I don't know, right off the, the top of your head, when you talk to voters, you talk to Pennsylvanians, uh, what do they say most often they're bothered about or that uh, they're yeah. concerned with? I think they're pretty much what we call kitchen table talk problems you know you get around the kitchen table and you start talking about i mean it's can you know the the kid the kids who just graduated from college can they find a job record numbers living back home with the parents how about the raise that you know did did the parents get a raise what kind of a raise what kind of job security they have there is still sort of the fundamental concern about the status of the economy and that has not change now for for several years can we pay the mortgage can we take a vacation can we afford to send a kid to college you know our kids to college these are 
real concerns that voters have. I think you're absolutely right about it. The, the, all the business with Kathleen Kane and does it upset voters in our state? Sure. But is it something that every day it affects their lives? The answer is no. And there were folks who, you know, were hurt by the failure to do a budget. You mentioned the uh, nonprofits. There was also the difficulty in the schools. Uh, you know, many uh, schools had a, school districts had to go out and borrow money. There were discussions of actually closing schools this month had they not had the uh, uh, the budget passed, which the governor blue line, but education money is released uh, by the governor. So overall, most of these do not affect the daily lives of Pennsylvanians. Mary, you're at the Capitol almost every day talking to lawmakers. <laughs> not today. Not today, <laughs> though. But when you talk to legislators, do you get a sense that their constituents that that's in the forefront of their mind, just like what we were talking about here, those kitchen table issues that Terry described. I mean, are they thinking about that? Do you get that sense, or is it that, okay, here's the job we have to do, here's what we want to do? I don't know, just give me a sense to kind of describe it. Well, I don't see those two things as mutually exclusive. I no. think when I talk to legislators, I hear them saying that the, what their constituents are telling them is a crucial part of the job that they have to do and that they're constantly looking for that feedback from their constituents or reinforcement from their constituents to, to, to show them that they're doing the right thing or to guide their decision making. And, um, you know, as as Mr. Madonna has written and as we've heard a lot of people say, we have divided government in Harrisburg. So we've got um, everyone thinking that their constituents have sent them to do a certain thing. It just happens to be um, diametrically opposed to what you know someone across the aisles constituents have sent you know you know the other party to do um, so we've got this and, and, and you know that's a, a big part of the reason for the stalemate uh, Terry let me follow up on something that uh, Mary just uh, said uh, divided government yesterday when we uh, asked this question about the national issues that uh, voters are most concerned with probably the answer we got most often was that lack of civility that divided government the partisanship in Washington. What about Harrisburg? Oh, well, it's just as severe. I mean, we're a miniature case study in what we see in Congress. I mean, <clears throat> you, you all, fought, we all followed the debate over the budget and the language that each side was using towards the other. You know, was was a, more hostile than we've seen in in decades. It was in some cases more personal. Uh, I mean, the, this this is one of the factors that, in effect put it in the vernacular, turns people off. You know, they just, it, it, it causes voters to simply shut down, to tune out uh, politics and politicians. It's part of the reason, it's not the only reason to be sure, that we have record levels of discontent with government, with voters telling us government's dysfunctional, with high levels of distrust of government that fuels the candidacies of people at the national level like Donald Trump, uh, and in our own state, we could see that in a in one of the candidates running on the Democratic side to take on Pat Toomey in the U.S. Senate elections, a guy named Fetterman, who's the mayor of Braddock, and his 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 statements literally that play into some of this anger and angst that we're talking about. 
And uh, Mr. Fetterman, Mayor Fetterman, is a unique individual from what I hear. I have yeah, never never uh, met yeah. him or talked to him. Uh, we will be sure to get him on the program before the before the primary. Mary, it, I know it's hard for you to say compared to 10 years ago because you weren't around Harrisburg at the time. Right. Uh, but are you noticing that personal uh, politics that 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 it's that rancor, if you will. I mean, very often you we see it on television, and this is where you get a lot of your sound bites, or where you get to talk to uh, uh, individual legislators as they come out of a, a meeting, and Republican, Democrat, and the other says they have two uh, diametrically opposed points of view as to how they saw the meeting that had just occurred. Do you see that? Is it personal? Or maybe it, they don't do it at that time, but wait a little bit later. Does it seem personal to you? Yeah, I have a long answer to this. Uh, one of my old favorite um, correspondents uh, of, of the U.S. Capitol, uh, Andrea Seabrook, who uh, left NPR, used to say, you know, the thing about Congress is that you can't say it's it's been worse than this because when it was worse than this, um, someone was caning his colleague right, over right. his back. We haven't, know, we haven't gotten to that point yet. Yeah, we haven't gotten to that point yet. So, you, you know, I'm I'm personally not ready to say this is an unprecedented amount of, of rancor um, and, and vehemence that we see in the state capitol because I think the state capitol is similar. Um, you know, when I go back and read accounts of, and Terry Madonna can talk about this a lot better than I can. Um, because Terry's older than both of us. No, well, no, because Terry's, a, Terry's a, 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 true, an historian. True. But when true. I go back and read accounts about former Governor Schaefer pushing for um, a tax increase to to uh, fill a huge state deficit, when I when I read about the um, several stopgap budgets that were used back then, nearly forty years ago, some some thirty forty years ago, um, to make the state budget balance, um, the amount of of um, of of rancor between lawmakers and the governor's administration back then in Pennsylvania's history was was astounding, and it was it's very similar to to the way things are now. Um, the difference now might be that communication is so much easier that you can um, tweet your opinion immediately at a lawmaker or, or an opponent or, or, you know, you can um, speak more directly to your constituents more frequently because of the ease of telecommunications and, and social media. Um, what I what I will say I've heard from lawmakers and staff is that, you know, you, you asked for a comparison of, you know, now to 10 years ago. And I've heard lawmakers say that the experience is not there in the building and the willingness is not there in the building now the way it was 10 years ago to make a deal, to bridge the gap between two sides uh, and make a deal. And it might be because there's not such recent memory um, of, among the members who are there of a time when they did have to make a deal. You know, the the Rendell administration um, had to oversee a divided government, right, a divided legislature. And... Um, Republican, moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats often were able to form a, a coalition and, and make a deal that would that would be able to get the signature of former Governor Rendell. Um, and and in the time since, there have been huge uh, uh, spasms in legislature. The, the pay raise um, and the election of 2006 swept a whole bunch of, you know, veteran hands out of the legislature. And the, the people who have come in since are far less willing to take marching orders from leadership, are far less willing to compromise on their principles because they saw people um, for whom that was their undoing. You know, you know, compromise was, you know, far too easy. People were far too flexible and, and maybe a little bit too compromising in their principles. That was the argument. So the people we see here in the legislature now 
do do not have the same um, institutional memory of making deals. I mean, I mean that's the, that's the argument I've heard at least from a lot of staff members and legislators. Terry, I'm going to have you follow up on that in just a moment because you do have that uh, historical perspective. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. Joining us today is WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief Mary Wilson and Dr. G. Terry Madonna, political analyst and pollster at Franklin and Marshall College. We're asking you the question, the state issue that is most important to you, what you want to see addressed, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. Also go to WITF's Facebook page to leave uh, the the answer to that question as well. The phone number, one 800 729 7532. Terry, let's uh, talk, uh, just follow up before we do get to the phone calls, because we're starting to get some phone calls now and emails uh, on what Mary had to say, because you have uh, seen this and you have studied Pennsylvania history. Uh, I, uh, From what you've said before on this program and things you've written, she's right on with that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, remember, we've had fistfights in the floor of the General Assembly. We're not talking now about, you know, uh, a... Uh, a legislator in Congress being uh, uh, caned, we're talking about in our own state. I mean, that, that's not uncommon. And we often, there's a tendency, I think, to look at current the state of politics and always find, well, it's the worst it could be. It's never been like this before. Mary's absolutely right. And in perspective, we've had some very tough, uh, uh, ideologically drawn battles uh, in, in the past. And here's what's fascinating. A good many of these have, have, have been about money. They've been about the budget. Uh, virtually every time in this state, not every time, but almost every time, we've had a problem. It's been over the budget. Uh, throughout the latter years of the 1960s, seven, six, seven budgets, all stop gaps, uh, because the lawmakers couldn't agree on raising uh, implementing actually the first permanent state income tax, 
be able to swallow something like, you know, an increase in their personal income tax or an increase in the state sales tax um, if if oil companies, as they see it, continue to, to, to go on without some sort of added levy on their industry. Um, people who oppose a shale tax um, on top of the existing uh, impact fee that we've got in Pennsylvania say that this is just a bad time for that levy because um, the price of oil is down. Um, yeah, not only down, yeah. right, Not only would it would it hurt an industry, um, supporters of it argue, opponents of the tax, supporters of the industry argue it would hurt an industry that's on its back right now, but it also wouldn't raise a lot of money. I mean, that much is definitely true right now. It would not raise so much money for the Commonwealth if uh, the price of gas is this low, the price of oil is this low. Um, so, so those are some of the arguments for and against, and um, it's really hard to know you know, to look into the future and see how the path would be any different. Um, uh, so so we'll just have to see. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take some phone calls now. Let's go to Pat in Waynesburg. Is Waynesboro or Waynesburg, Pat? Waynesboro. Okay, Waynesboro. So what's on your mind today? Well, I'm concerned about the uh, movement toward uh, eliminating school property taxes. Mm-hmm. Property taxes are the most stable and equitable of all our taxes. And uh, the legislator's idea to increase income and sales taxes to make up for that local control would be a nightmare. The state hasn't done very well by schools in the past, like not making contributions to the employee's pension system for over 17 years. What makes us think that they will be any better about that in the future, when school districts will have to beg the state for our money back. You know, Pat, you're probably in the minority, though. I'm I'm, I'm a former school board member here in (laughs) Waynesboro School and I probably are, but uh, it's the people who have expensive homes that are the most uh, clamorous for for eliminating the property taxes. (laughs) And those property taxes, by the way, will, will not just be on homeowners, but on businesses as well that help to contribute to our local. Uh, income. Well, thank you very much for your call, and I want to go to another call. Oh, I guess he's no longer there, but this was uh, Mark. Well, before we go, Terry, I just want to mention that uh, the next call is going to go to, and he's no longer there, is Mark in, in York, who wanted property tax reform. So that's uh, obviously a huge issue. I, I, I thought that uh, Pat may have an education background there, but right, she's absolutely right. right about it being the most reliable tax, but it's also prob- probably the most unpopular tax. Yeah, that's right. Uh, But let let me take a couple angles on this. Number one, Mm -hmm. uh, it is the most unpopular tax. It's the most hated tax. It's a tax that people want removed. The difficulty is, if you're talking about getting rid of $11 billion, and who knows what it actually is, the amount of property tax Pennsylvanians pay, we're talking about a very substantial increase in both both Mm -hmm. income and sales taxes. And each one of those sales and income taxes have their, you know, ha- have their supporters and their opponents, and each affect people differently. Now let's go to something that Pat said that we often don't hear about, but she does raise a great point that folks directly connected with the schools, the people who run the schools, often make, but not given a lot of uh, of, uh, of subject matter in the press. That's why I'm glad she called. It is a real concern among people who run the schools, who are responsible for them, that turning all of the assets that the schools would basically use, perhaps not all of them, but the lion's share of them, 
putting them into state hands creates a real problem for the schools, given the number of times we've had dysfunctionality, you know, in terms of what we see now. But here's another angle. What formula is the state going to use to dispense the money to the schools? We've had at several times a formula, a distribution formula, you know, to get the money out to the schools, a couple of those formula in the last several decades. This time, Governor Wolf made a decision that he was going to handpick a couple of schools, districts, and provide extra money. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying the governor decided that, and that created some controversy. So what's a fair formula to distribute the schools? And do school districts want to place their complete reliance on state government, which would allow state government to have more direct control over what happens in local school districts. Mary, following up on that, Terry brings up a good point in that just think about the last seven months. uh, Schools were threatening to close because they weren't getting money from the state. But how they stayed open and how they continued to operate was the money they were bringing in locally. So if they had to rely on the state completely, they would have been shut down day one, I would think. Well, yeah, it's hard to know. Maybe they would have borrowed money. It's really hard to know. That's that's a great point for why it's such a problematic, such such a sticky wicket trying to decide, you know, exactly what the local versus state aid breakdown is going to be for school districts, the the method for funding them. What I think is really interesting about the whole property tax elimination argument is that it would require, as Terry Madonna pointed out, it would require hefty increases in state sales and income taxes. And that's just to keep funding level for education. That doesn't include any increase in education funding, as a lot of Democrats and the Wolf administration want to see right now. So if you're a lawmaker, if you're sitting here, you're a Republican House lawmaker that wants to see the property tax removed completely and you're willing to say yes I voted for increases in the state sales and personal income tax what are you going to think of a proposal from the Wolf administration or from Democrats across the aisle in your chamber that say we're going to increase the income and sales tax just to add money to education no you're you're not going to be for that you're going to want to keep that off the table until it's going to get until it's going to kill the beast as they say you know of property taxes they want to save that they want to save those levers and they're not going to pull them until they know that the property tax is going to be eliminated or close to being eliminated. And that's what's so complicated and really interesting about this whole debate. Let's go down another direction here. Anne is in York. Anne, what's on your mind? Good morning, Scott, Mary, and Dr. Madonna. Well, the issue that's most important to me is important to 54 of our Pennsylvania counties. And that is equitable tourism funding. You may have guessed I work for the Visitors Bureau from the White Rose City, and it's white out there. But we have been working with the York County delegation for helping our our tourism industry in the state. And there's legislation that has passed the House, House Bill 794, sponsored by Representative Gillespie, and it would provide the ability for 54 Pennsylvania counties to raise their room tax to 5%. Philly's at 9, Pittsburgh and Erie are at 5, Adams, Lancaster, Dauphin are at 5, and 54 of us, the smallest of us, are stuck at 3. So, you know, this is good. This is helping local economies to improve their tourism industry. And it has taken us 
almost four years, and we still haven't gotten it across the finish line. In York, we've missed out on about $4 million of tourism revenues, and we need state help. And let me ask you this. Let me follow up. Um, You know, there are probably people listening to the program who would say, you know, we're talking about property taxes, we're talking about sales taxes, all those things. Uh, When I hear a a cry for more money for tourism, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm thinking, okay, service industry, and uh, is it that important? Tell me why tourism is so important to those 54 counties. It's, you know, it is a multi-billion dollar industry. $30 billion is generated by tourists in our state every year. In York County, visitors spend almost a billion dollars annually, but we're fighting with our hands tied behind our back. Scott, our state tourism spending, the state tourism office, used to be $41 million a year. It's now four. Other states are eating our lunch. Our state tourism funding is ranked 46th. So, you know, we are really at a competitive disadvantage at the state level, and then compounded on that is that there's not equitable tourism funding uh, at the county level. So we really need the Senate to help us and pass House Bill 794 so the governor can sign it. And thank you very much for your call. Terry, you know, what she points out, there are a lot of interest in this state and more and more. Oh, it's huge. It's huge when it, you know, it's one of the industries in which there actually have been jobs added in the past 10 years. And I think what Ann said that brings it home is that we're competing against other states. Right. Yeah, I don't think that request is unreasonable. I mean, you know, if you stay in a hotel, people shop for. They want, they want location, they want price. It's not going to add a significant amount to the hotel bill, right? I mean, it's, 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 and there is inequity. I mean, here over here in Lancaster County, uh, usually when I travel over to York, I promise not to renew the War of the Roses uh, when I travel over there. But, I mean, it, it, does it make any sense to have a county with five and a county with three? You get my point. It, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. There ought to be at least some equity in that and uh, support for tourism. Given the historical nature of this state, given the vast history that we have and the number of people who come here to participate in that history, whereas to go to Philadelphia or to go to Gettysburg or go to whatever places, Lancaster, York, into our state capital, that doesn't seem to be an, an, you know, a, a, a silly request. It seems like... That should be easily done. Let's go to uh, Helen in York. Helen, you're on the air. Good morning. morning. I have two things. One's more important than the other, but they're both of importance. Number one, how on earth can we get redistricting so that our government is represented equitably rather than the way everybody chews everything up? Um, It seems to me that would address a lot of issues uh, so we would have a broader representation, clear representation, number one. Number two, on my high horse, is we can't get county school districts. They would be ideal, but we're not going to go there in this century. (laughs) But we could get a county school district calendar. Maryland does it. All it would take is school districts and unions to sit down and look at their schedule. And that, even though it isn't of the magnitude you've been discussing, number one, it would be so people-friendly and so nice uh, to have 
everybody off at the same time and mm. so on and so forth. All right. Thank you for your call, Helen. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off there, Helen. I thought you were done. Um, but, Terry, let's talk about redistricting. Redistricting, uh, yeah. As you know from the times you've been on this show, this is and this is one of the, the areas in which I'm very proud of our audience because how thoughtful our audience is. Because this right. is not one of those sexy, uh, no, no, no. Not one of those sexy issues, but... Every single time it you're on. Depends on how you draw the district, really. Uh, well, the way they're being drawn now, you know. Yeah. But uh, every single time we talk about this, we have someone bring this up. So it's important sure. to the people sure. listening to this program. Well, we have, yeah, and we have to understand that there are two there are two different ways in which redistricting takes place. Let's talk about Congress. Hmm. We have 18 congressional districts in this state. They those boundaries are drawn after every decennial census uh, by the state legislature in the form of a bill, the same way that any bill that Mary covers, you know, goes through the legislature to be signed or vetoed by the governor. That's for Congress. And and in order to change that, that aspect of it, the legislature could decide to set up an independent commission by law if it wants to do Congress. And, and, and several states have moved away from so-called partisan redistricting to independent commissions, uh, and there's been lots of debate in states about it as gerrymandering has increased. Now we get into a, a more complex issue. 253 people in the legislature, 203 in the state house, 50 in the state senate. Those, boundary, those district boundary lines are drawn every 10 years or so by a commission that's outlined whose who, responsibilities and composition are laid out in the state constitution and literally two democrats two republicans end up on it by virtue of the way the commission is established and the fifth person if the four people can agree is appointed by them if not it's done by the supreme court and that's where it gets complicated scott and Mary, as Mary knows, and I think you do too, Scott, in order to fix that, you have to amend the state constitution. And there you are, amend the state constitution, which is a rarity. Two consecutive sessions of the legislature have to agree to that amendment. And the problem is getting a consensus in the legislature about how to do it when lawmakers benefit from it. I'm going to make this point clear. State House and Senate members, incumbents, usually benefit by redistricting to a great extent because they make their district safer. In every case, no. Somebody has to suffer. But the majority of lawmakers like the system because they benefit from them. Senator John Wozniak, uh, a Democrat, has uh, uh, offered a proposal that uh, would uh, bring some reform to it. And I, if Senator Wozniak's listening, and I know he listens from time to time because he follows me on Twitter. Uh, if Senator Wozniak's listening, there's an open invitation for you to be on the program. I think we've already contacted the office, but uh, we'll get him on the program to talk about this as well. As far as the countywide, uh, you know, she's right. 
countywide school district that that wouldn't work here in Pennsylvania. We have uh, so many little uh, uh, pieces of government here, and school boards and school districts are one of them. But uh, that does not sound like an unreasonable request as well, although there would be people who probably fight back and say that you're taking away our local control. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. WITF's election coverage is supported by the Harrisburg office of the law firm of Saul Ewing, LLP. And that's who we're talking to today, voters, Pennsylvanians, the issues, the state issues that are most important to you. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can uh, do the same on uh, WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. All right, let's take another phone call from, let's see, who do we have here? Skip in Chambersburg. Skip, you're on the air. Hello, everyone. How are you today? We're doing very well. All shoveled out? I don't know. Mary, are you shoveled out? Well, I'm here. Okay. Well, I guess that's (laughs) half a yes anyway. (laughs) So what's up, Skip? Well, I'm concerned. My wife and I are both retired now, uh, fixed income. Um, Obviously, the budget not being passed it's trickling down to the counties and the school districts, and we've already seen tax increases uh, on our property taxes, school tax, so on. Um, I think it's time that we move on, and, you know, we we uh, went to the election saying we were going to remedy the, the pension system with the state. We were going to do away with the liquor stores. We were going to have a severance tax on the gas wells. Um, someone needs to dribble or shoot one way or another. Well, the difficulty, as you probably have heard, Skip, is we can't get them to agree. (laughs) Yeah, I know, and that's why we elect them, and I think everyone should consider this when all these politicians come around to your door and knock on the door and want you to vote for them. I think you need to be uh, fair, firm, and consistent and tell them that, hey, uh, you know, you've affected me drastically, especially the retirees. Mm. All right. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, Terry, he brings up something that a lot of people probably don't think of, and that is that so many municipalities, counties, schools have had to borrow during this budget impasse. Someone has to pay for that. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think there was some discussion, and Mary can weigh in here, on having the state provide when they did the final budget, if they did do a final budget, of helping to pay for that interest that every that you know municipalities and particularly school districts have used to borrow the auditor general eugene de pasquale did a analysis of that interest i can't remember what it is but it was in the millions we're not talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars we're talking about 30 or 40 million i thought was a figure he came up with and uh, why should the municipalities and the school districts and the nonprofits suffer when the state failed to meet its responsibilities to them that ought to be provided you know by the state regardless of what side you are politically they the state failed to do the budget on time as they're constitutionally required to do and as you you've been talking about on here for a long time we're now into the now into the seventh month with about ninety percent of the budget done ten percent of it's still not done uh... which will by april and may impose new hardships uh... uh on the on recipients of state uh, of state aid we'll find out in on february ninth from the governor what he'll propose for the new year my sense is 
we're going to be back to where we were last year with huge divisions over overspending and potential new revenue sources. But Mary, okay, Terry's right uh, that uh, there has been some talk from the state that uh, okay, we'll make up for what you had to borrow. But mm-hmm. the point is, the bottom line is, whether it's on the state level or it's on the local level, someone has to pay, and it will be taxpayers. Correct. Correct. Uh, so there's two things about that promise. There's there's one that it would require additional tax revenue or revenue from somewhere, um, and you know we can't seem to you know see passage of you know an, an even lower revenue package. Um, the other part of that promise is that social services agencies and schools are looking at that and wondering, okay, well, would we apply? There's fine print to that promise from the state that they'll be made whole based on their borrowing costs. And especially certain human services organizations were saying, I don't think we fall into the category that would be reimbursed for our borrowing costs because we don't have enough employees or our borrowing costs were not high enough. So um, there's some fine print there. Um and the bottom line is it hasn't happened yet. Mm. So it's, you know, it's Absolutely. just a promise and there's no delivery there yet. Manuel Carlisle has an email, and this is a good one. He says, not that they, they're all good, but this <laughs> is one that is... You can't favorites? No, okay. Uh, this is a different one. Put it that way. It's a good, different one. My main concerns with Pennsylvania is the issue which, if left unchecked, will lead to class and race warfare. Urbanites, urbanites, and I think he's, uh, you know, not talking about actually caning people as we were discussing earlier, violence, but urbanites do not understand and demonize rural folk as religious nuts clinging to their guns, while those living in the countryside demonize urbanites as people who want to control their lives and suppress their religious and societal views. Now, the the, the, the point that that Manuel brings up is a good one that we've heard often on the national level, but... Pennsylvania is a big state. I I wonder whether people realize how many different areas of this state, how different it is in Erie County Mm -hmm. compared to Delaware County, for example. I mean, he brings up a good point, and we have this even in the legislature with the rural legislators versus the legislators from the urban areas. Terry, it's a big issue that we really don't address very often. Yeah, it's certainly not what James Carville said a couple of decades ago, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Alabama in between, uh, the the famous uh, comment he made uh, when he was uh, running Bob Casey's campaign, Governor Casey. The fact of the matter is that we have a very large, complicated state with many moving parts and and a lot of diversity. and and that diversity adds to the vitality and 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 the greatness in many respects of of our state but at the same time it brings up as the uh, emailer points out some of these stereotypes that we develop about each other that, that doesn't make it easy to govern and i think that's the heart of his question that we often don't understand each other because they're not part of our day-to-day culture and they're physically as well as intellectually and emotionally removed from us, and that leads to the kinds of tensions. We see that, and and Mary, I'm sure, has picked that up in the legislature during the course of legislative debate. You're listening and go, oh my gosh, I just heard two speakers, one's from Venus and one's from Mars. Are they in the same state? You know, And that goes on and on all the time. Again, the diversity adds to the greatness and the richness of our culture, 
but it's not without its problems and how we overcome that and work towards everybody accepting each other's uh, culture and understanding it and supporting it remains the biggest challenge in some respects that we face. All right. Now, we know that here in the Harrisburg area that uh, we have a number of people who work in state government who listen to the program, including some elected officials. And we have one on the line right now. State Representative Garth Everett of Lycoming County is on the line. Representative Everett, welcome to the program. Thanks, Scott. What made you call in today? Well, I I, uh, listen to the show regularly. Uh, A lot of times I'm driving uh, back and forth from up outside the Williamsport area. And then when I'm home, I have the, uh, the app on my phone, and if I happen to be on the treadmill or on the exercise bike, uh, try to listen in. So I think you've had a good program today. I always have a lot of good programs. I want to go back to where you were uh, kind of in the beginning of your discussion about the, uh, the art of making deals. And, uh, and I'm a post-pay uh, raise uh, legislator, and, uh, and I would suggest that when, when we came in, uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was make government more open and transparent and, and not the old backroom deals that were made by some of the famous deal makers of Pennsylvania. And I would suggest that some of those deals that were made uh, were have caused the problems that we're dealing with today. The pension crisis, the, uh, the budget being at such a high level. You know, everybody wants us to compromise and make a deal, but they want it to be the deal that they want, mm-hmm. not, uh, not to compromise. And uh, you you pointed out the diversity of our state, how difficult it is to uh, a rural legislator like me getting on page with uh, our urban legislators with our priorities. So, uh, you know, I think when people want those compromises and those deals, they have to understand what those deals can cost sometimes. And I don't want to talk about any of the issues. We can do that another day. I just wanted to, uh, to add that idea. Well, no, I, I think I'm glad you called in because what you raise is a challenge. It is a challenge out there because I think about whams, walking around money, that everyone said, okay, we don't want legislators to get those, that, uh, you know, this is money that uh, could be used in, in other ways. We don't want legislators to get money for their pet projects. But at the same time, Representative, would you agree that it does make it more difficult if you don't make those deals that that has added to this divide that we have in state government well i don't think there's any doubt that uh, in the era before i got here that the uh, whams were how deals were put together uh, i don't think that was any secret and that's something that we wanted to, to do away with to do away with whams and have budgets be passed on their merits tax increases you know done on their merits uh, projects done on their merits and in an open and transparent fashion. And it does make it much more difficult for our leaders to, uh, to put deals together today. And, uh, you know, I would suggest, and uh, I'll let, uh, you know, Dr. Madonna talk about it, our government was constructed to be difficult to manage and, uh, and, and hard to do. And I think it shouldn't be quite as hard as it is right now, but I believe the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania will get through. Uh, our, our current state uh, will... You know, I think the, the first budget with a new governor and an even more conservative legislature than it was last term, it, it was difficult and is difficult, but I think it'll be uh, a little easier when we go around it this next time. Why, why do you think so? Well, we, I think, you know, you've talked about the framework budget a number of times. I mean, the, there was a, we were very, very close to uh, coming to an agreement on the issues and the budget and the revenue, and uh, I think the thing that we 
that we failed to reach an, an agreement on was how to raise that revenue. I think if cooler heads prevail here, and I hope they will, that we can sort of pick up where we left off and uh, get through this year, which the budget that we passed will do, and start, uh, you know, I would say, you know, everybody always talks about it, but, uh, you know, reboot from where we are, take the discussion up on the issues that we've already agreed on, and, uh, and move forward into uh, into the budget for sixteen seventeen. Republican State Representative Garth Everett of Lycoming County, thank you very much. And uh, I have a favor to ask, Representative Everett, when you go to the Capitol, tell as many of your colleagues to listen as possible, okay? <laughs> uh, I will. I'm, uh, I'm sitting right outside the Capitol on Commonwealth now, ready to pull into uh, the, uh, ready to pull in the garage. All right, well, let's promote a little bit. Hey, thank you very much for yeah. your call. <laughs> See, Terry, you always have to take yeah. advantage of the, of the opportunity to promote when you can but what, yeah, what do you shame, think of, shameless self-promotion that's right. i do it all the time <laughs> so what do you think about what he had to say yeah i mean here's what's fascinating you notice the language that the representative used it was not emotional he didn't attack anybody you know what i mean you know i'm not saying you agree with him or i agree with him that's not the point but notice the way he approached it right how could you be upset about that you couldn't be, could you? Yeah, that that's right. And 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 I mean, see, that's what discourse should be about. Again, we're not. I'm not getting into his positions or you know what I think of them. And you know, we don't need to do that. But he does come to the heart of it. Look, we have a much more conservative legislature. You and I have chatted about this ad nauseum, beginning with the with the pay raise and you know the insurrection in 2006 going through several wave elections, 2010, 2014. The legislature is more conservative, the Republicans. The Democrats are more liberal. They're packed into districts, redrawn, <laughs> you know, using artful but and sometimes legal gerrymandering. We've got higher levels of ideological polarization than we've ever had. So we have some elements, again, we've talked about this many times, that we're missing in the past, and then when you add... The tools, like whams and the use of carrots and sticks by leaders to get things done, it's made it all the more difficult. And that's, you know, just a small piece of the difficulty in in getting not just the budget through, but pension reform that some lawmakers want, the privatization of, of liquor, which some lawmakers want. And remember, when Governor Corbett was elected, in 2010, what, what immediately were the three big issues? The budget, pensions, and liquor, correct? Right. We went through four years of a Republican-controlled legislature, and they held the line on the budget, to be sure. But nothing with pensions and nothing with alcohol until we've got a new governor. Well, Governor Wolf just walked by our studio here. He's doing an interview in, inside the building today, and he just wondered why Mary and I were in here together. But, hey, we're, we're, we're out of time for uh, today's program. And I th thank our listeners uh, who, the phones are ringing off the hook right now. I encourage you. Oh, they did the same thing yesterday. Go to our website, WITF.org, and leave your comments on the website description of uh, today's program. Mary Wilson, WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief Political Analyst, Dr. G. Terry Madonna, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. We'll talk to you uh, tomorrow. We're going to be talking about health insurance. Tomorrow's the deadline is coming.